Good. Here, let me turn my video on at work. There we go. There he is. <laughs> yeah, how you been? Good, good, good. Can't believe it's been three years. July of is it, 18. Really that long? Holy crap. Yeah, that's pretty. Granted, we lost 2020, so it's been two that's years. True. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what have you been doing during uh, all the the COVID time? I mean, I mean, I know you've been like continuing the sure. podcast stuff, but yeah, you know did what? That impact your other work? Or? All, 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 all told, it's been a it's been a it's been a pretty good time. Uh, well, anyway, we've got a, a soon to be five year old and a soon to be two year old. So the two year old's nice. brand new. Uh, but I was able to, uh, to, to, for lack of a better term, pivot to doing lots of virtual presentations on financial stuff that I just would never have really thought possible, but uh, yeah. was was able to do that. So That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, if for people who knew how to do things online, it wasn't that bad. You know, in academia, there were so many people who didn't know how to use their course management systems, you know, like Blackboard or Moodle or stuff, because they, you know, for their face-to-face classes, they were supposed to be doing that for years and years, and they just hadn't done it, you know. And then suddenly they had to sort of catch up on all that. It was just a mess. Yeah. But you, 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 you fared good, bad, fine? Well, I was already online right. in my teaching for most of my classes and then that spring semester you know I already had lots of resources for them so I could pivot pretty easy I even created a video about how to create videos um, for for all my peers who are having such a terrible time Um, and you know I just continued on like that I've been all my teaching is is online now there's one place that I teach for that wants to bring me in to go face to face but they don't pay enough to make it worth going to campus so right they're not going to get it <laughs> it's, it's 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 crazy i just i used to go and have coffee with people all the time for networking yeah, yeah. or whatever now i just can't even imagine wasting the amount of time that it would take to drive to the location and drive back it has <laughs> produced an interesting like reconsideration of priorities <laughs> hasn't it and, and and i think there's there's some people who really really want to go back to face to face and when like when you're saying when you're looking at the actual like return on investment for it there isn't any they right. just want to like be able to look at somebody else and, and not do it on on zoom i also found out something really interesting i don't know if you know about this and i hadn't known about it at all but a scandinavian friend told me about it there's been a boom in plastic surgery mm. um since the <laughs> pandemic started and it's because people are seeing themselves on stuff like this, like on Skype or Zoom. Or, oh my God! And they they see their imperfections, and you know they looked at. It's not like they didn't look in the mirror before, but they weren't seeing themselves for like an hour at a time. And if you are insecure about, you know, like how your nose looks, or I don't know, your chin maybe, or something yeah, like that, whatever, it'll 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 really come home to you. So plastic surgeons right now are worried about the boom being over how funny that, well, i mean that might be worth an episode you that know? for sure yeah a thousand percent <laughs> yes all these uh sort of second order effects that uh you know are going on but you're not really thinking about and there's a lot of them certainly so 
Yeah. I mean, that would be if, if you know anybody who does plastic surgery, you know, yeah. you should reach out to them and bring them on, you know, because I'm sure listeners would find it fascinating. <laughs> For sure. A thousand percent. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're, we're reconnected uh, and excited yeah. to, to dig into this with you today and uh, excited for and well, congratulations on doing Stoicon coming up here. Thanks. Um, but a month away. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a fun time. And like everything else, you know, there's like moments of panic behind the scenes. For sure. <laughs> for, for different stakeholders involved. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm certainly familiar with all that. So. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, uh, show is is different but similar i'll introduce you okay. we'll have a great conversation about just just the name is different um about everything you've got going on would love to talk about uh like we mentioned truth would also if you're if you're up to it i'd love to talk about uh with abortion being in the headlines and also just the vaccine talk about like physical autonomy and how stoics okay. might think and look about look, look at that okay yeah um, I mean, the answer is going to be, well, there isn't a single stoic perspective on that, but yeah, we can, we can certainly look at that. We don't have to. Yeah. I mean, do you think it'll make for less compelling, uh, audio to, I mean, what I would, here's what I would basically say in a thumbnail. So on like a lot of social issues, Stoics don't typically have like a this automatically flows from the principles, but it'd be more like how do you approach um, the topic and think it through and how do you deal with other people who um, don't see eye to eye with with you on it, you know, I think so, that would be I mean, we could get in. Sure, I think that would be interesting. Just I think it's the more the more we can think for ourselves, I, I, I'm, I'm always for that. And whatever side you come yeah, down yeah. on, if you're for abortion or if you're, you're vehemently against it, if you love, you know, if, if you got vaccinated or if you haven't, um, to be able to have a conversation about this instead of just wanting to fucking kill the other people, I think it would be good. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds fun. I mean, on the, on the vaccination thing, I think Stoics in general, um, are going to be way more aligned and saying, listen, it's a public health thing. You get vaccinated. You know, this is part of caring for your your uh, neighbor and, and being a decent uh, member of a society. Uh, on the abortion thing, I think they're going to be all over the map um, if we if we did polling or anything like that. So, yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Cool. Um, we'll just wade into it. <laughs> sure. Sure. All right. Beautiful. All right, sir. We'll go for 20 minutes or so. All right. Shall we? Yeah. The strong, the powerful Dr. Greg Sadler has returned to Lifeblood. Welcome back, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Uh -huh. I, I didn't realize it had been so long, and, um, you know, I guess we lost track of time. I, I, yes, I, I think that that's absolutely true. So, so, so glad that you are back. Dr. Greg is a philosopher. He's a speaker, an author, a consultant, a coach. He's a content creator. He is the editor of Stoicism Today. He is a professor, and he is the organizer of the upcoming Stoicon. So, Greg, t 
tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Well, let me bring in my wife and partner right away because she's one of the co-organizers of Stoicon and there's some things that she does way better than I do, you know, and so I, I you know, I'm happy to have her as, as a full partner. And that's Andy Shaka, who, by the way, just got appointed to associate professor of writing at Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. So that's that's really cool. That's a place both of us teach. Um and so, yeah, we've we've got a lot of joint projects that we we do together. Um, as you mentioned, I do coaching and consulting and all sorts of stuff like that, particularly in the area of ethics. And it's been uh, kind of a boom time, you know, as we were chatting just a little bit before. Um, part one of the reasons I think we lost track of time was because we've been you know living through a massive crisis, a pandemic, an economic downturn, you know, the most polarizing election in our lifetime, not necessarily the most in American history, but, you know, neither one of us was living in the 19th century. So we didn't see the Civil War. Um, And so, you know, the the pandemic has been a, a really interesting time. I was already doing a lot of stuff online before that and my clientele is all over the world so I wasn't I didn't lose a beat because of it you could say but I saw a lot of my colleagues and uh, and friends really thrown for a loop and and now we're in this interesting period that I know we wanted to talk about where people are dying for normalcy right they got to get back to face to face everything um, which may or may not happen all that long depending on what the variants do and what our public health policies are so yeah it's kind of a long and rambling answer we've already ranged over a lot of ground that's um, all good it's all good you know i had i had almost put the election out of my mind greg because <laughs> <laughs> well, all these other really really polarizing things have have yeah. the, the, the hits just keep coming that's true and and one of the things that I think you can say, you know, we're both old enough to remember a time before the internet and the 24-hour news cycle and just getting flooded with with information and everything seeming to kind of speed up in terms of crises, you know, getting put in front of our face. It's easy to lose track of any one particular crisis because there's so many other ones coming at us, right? Yeah, yeah, thousand percent true. And one of the things I, I wanted to talk with you about is, is just is the, is is truth because okay. how we used to get information with legacy media we used to all sit in front of the tv and it was peter jennings or dan rather or tom brokaw and those were the arbiters of truth and now it's you know i i, I don't even there's no not much legacy media it's cnn msnbc or fox and those are certainly i think if you don't think that they're slanted or that that that's i think that they all have some kind of a bend to them so as as how, how how would from an ethical standpoint from a stoic standpoint from your standpoint how do we how do we sort through all these ever never-ending crises coming at us and try to figure out what is true yeah so that's that's a huge question um one thing i would say is developing what uh we often call information literacy which means being able to identify, you know, why one source is more reliable than another, and that's not a on-off sort of thing. That's more of like a continuum thing. You know, you you build up 
you could call it a track record for for sources and you revise that over time you know if you if you found something that you agreed with immediately six months ago uh, you can't be sure that the rest of the stuff that source is putting out is going to be accurate especially nowadays in an environment where media companies are being uh, bought up by by other companies, which which then have a controlling interest. Um, I, I, actually, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. Please. Um, so here in the Milwaukee area, we used to, when I was uh, really up until college age, we used to enjoy having two essentially world-class newspapers, the Milwaukee Sentinel and the Milwaukee Journal. And they both were, you know, winning Pulitzers and all sorts of other things. And then they merged and everyone thought that was the end of the world in the 90s because, oh, it's going to just all go downhill, be the worst of both worlds. And it, it didn't happen. It was pretty good for quite a long time. And they continued on. But it has, over the last decade, become worse and worse and worse. And if I want good local news, I actually go to the – I go to some of the other Milwaukee – um, independent papers, or I go to the Kenosha newspaper, which hasn't been bought up, had all the, the you know, the life and the, the livelihood sucked out of it, losing its building the way the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has. It's really sad to see, but you have to be willing to revise your estimates, I think, of, of news sources and not buy into any single one as like the voice of, of truth. So that's probably one helpful aspect um i know a lot of people don't want to hear this or or they do want to hear it and they agree with it and they nod but then they don't practice it but you know taking in information from quality sources that are not aligned with you ideologically is pretty important (laughs) because oftentimes they're going to pick up on things that that you're missing and you know being able to identify what your ideological slants are is, is important too nobody's completely neutral and anybody who thinks that they are is being you know probably taken advantage of by somebody else who's who's tapped into that and you know we're living in a time when the challenges to getting accurate information are way tougher I mean, our challenge when we were kids, and you mentioned like, you know, the nightly news or the local newspaper, it was there wasn't quite enough information there. Now it's sifting through a massive amount of information sources and uh, resisting temptations to buy into something that you see on social media immediately coming in from your uh, people that you like. Um, and so it's, it's quite difficult. And I, I think that we... We probably need to be um, doing a lot better in K through 12 and in college teaching people about information literacy. I, I remember talking to my wife about this just the other day, and I, I used to teach critical thinking classes four per semester at one of the places I taught. And you'd look at the textbooks, and they'd have things on like media literacy, and they'd be worried about the consolidation of media companies and um, how press releases worked. And I was like, oh, isn't that quaint? You know, uh, this is like this is like 15 years ago. I was like, you know, I, I think things are getting better on on the whole and you look at it today and you're like wow those critical thinking teachers they were really on point about that they were you know um not the canary in the coal mine but the um you know the prophet saying oh the you know 
watch out, the, the time is getting close, and all of the rest of us, including critical thinking teachers, was like, nah, let's teach the fallacies instead and focus on the structure of argumentation and worry about advertisement, not not so much about, like, say, political discourse or even what counts as news, you know? Yeah. It, right. Like, why, why in the world would we waste our time actually wor- worrying about the news and the facts? We just need to worry about how we're being influenced by advertisers and stuff like that. But not, not that advertising hasn't gotten worse, right? Oh, no, for I sure. Mean, you, you, you know, targeted advertising is insane. You know, my, my wife will write something in an email about something and then I'll get ads for something connected to it in my LinkedIn or in my, um, you know, Facebook or YouTube or stuff like that. And you're like, how are they making these connections? Well, I mean, the answer is that these big companies have built up massive amounts of uh, uh, data to create profiles for all of us. And they know who we're connected with, you know? So, I mean, that's a little scary too. So don't want to let advertising totally off the hook. They, uh, they, they probably know themselves better than we do in, 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 in a lot of regard. Yeah. So critical thinking, uh, that's something that has been on my mind over the past couple of years. Just I always want to try and challenge why I think something is true and mm-hmm. and what if the opposite of what I think is true and we how important it is to be considering that and to be wondering why it is that I'm drawn towards a certain pundit or commentator or, or why I'm pursuing confirmation bias um, and, 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 yeah, yeah. and, and the danger of that because it's just a couple clicks away to find out information that I want to find out to be true. Um, But in these, in these massive things that, that not to use her hyperbole, but why not that are sort of threatening to, to, to pull us apart as, 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 as people, how can we critically think about these different issues like mm-hmm. if it's abortion or withdrawing in Afghanistan or the election or or vaccines and everything going along with vaccines, how can we think about that independently and then do a better job of of engaging with 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 others? Yeah, that's that's a, a great set of questions as well. And I would say that um, there's a lot of people who view themselves as free thinkers or independent thinkers or, you know, one of the catchphrases now is do their own research and they're, they're nothing of the kind. And I, I would say that we have a duty, first of all, not to be taken in by those, those easy, feel-good catchphrases and apply them to ourselves. And, and you know, if, if we're – so like, for example, let's take vaccines. There's a lot of disinformation out there and – I think a lot of people have been quite irresponsible, some of them in order to make considerable profit. They were they're grifting off of confusion and, and worries about the vaccines or the F, you know, the FDA or the CDC making uh, rather misguided decisions, you know, like about the we don't need masks for anything anymore. Right. Uh, way back early on in this year, um, they take advantage of that and they. You could say they're critical thinkers, but they're only critical thinkers like one step in. Mm. Critical thinking is not just something that you turn on 
once in a while. It's it's a set of skills and dispositions that you develop over time. And, and I do want to put in a pitch for something else. You know, we're going to talk about stoicism. So stoics don't use the term critical thinking in the ancient literature. They talk about prudence or practical wisdom. And that is a central part of it. You know, actually thinking things through, not buying into the fact or not buying into the idea, rather, because it's not a fact that somehow you're a free and independent thinker. Um, instead, looking at, like you said, you know, looking deeply at yourself and saying, where are my biases and why am I buying into things that I in one area that I wouldn't in another? You know, if I'm making an argument about personal autonomy and my body and, you know, I shouldn't have to be forced to wear a mask. Well, then I need to be consistent and I need to say, okay, that applies to all sorts of things. Or if I'm going to say, well, I don't trust the doctors on COVID vaccines, then you stop going to doctors because if you're going to be consistent, um, the doctor is not competent to tell you about that. They're not competent to tell you about anything else. But a lot of people are are uh, very selectively consistent. And so, you know, I'd say that that's that's part of it. Uh, that also kind of goes along with the stoic virtue of justice, which means that you, you know, like, again, let's take COVID. Um, if you chose not to get vaccinated because you, you bought into some line about why you, a healthy person, uh, shouldn't get some, some vaccine, even though it's been approved by the FDA at this point, and you get sick, um, there are some arguments out there that say, well, we shouldn't treat those people. We should we should triage and give preference to those who actually were responsible or who are in the hospital for other things, a kid in there for appendicitis or a gunshot wound or something like that. And I, I, I'm not going to unqualifiedly endorse that, but I will say that from a justice perspective, um, somebody who's made, who's made themselves deliberately a... Um, what would we call it, a drain on public health resources, they have less uh, legitimate, you know, right to demand treatment after they've been going after the medical establishment than all the rest of us who, um, you know, were, were more responsible on that sort of thing. And so I think consistency, coming back to that, that that's a really important aspect of critical thinking. If you want to make um, wild claims about one thing, you got to be able to not just back them up about that one thing, which you probably can't, but apply them to the other parts of your life. And if you can't, that should be a sign that you're off in whack job land and you want to get yourself out of that. <laughs> you, know, you know, another interesting facet of this too, that's really quite sad. And it's kind of unparalleled in our lifetime, except in fringe groups, is the fact that so many people bought into um, narratives and um, claims that turned out to be false, but are unwilling to back off on it. Things that are bad for them, bad for their neighbors, um, dirty up the, the water, you might say, of, of public communication, and they'll keep doubling down on it. And, and so psychologists have been asking, well, why, why would you do that? And then they started looking at victims of cons. And they realize that a lot of victims of cons are less worried about the actual damage or trauma that's been done to them or even people they care about. Because, you know, if you get conned out of your life savings, that doesn't just affect you. That affects your spouse, your kids, your, you know, whoever else you're, you're involved with. They're less worried about that and they're more worried about saving face. And so, you know, that's that's a big uh issue as as well that that's one that i think can straddle uh 
the whole political spectrum. But uh, to come back to the uh, the the question um, about truth, you know, truth is something that we don't like grasp all at once in you know in a single instant. It's something we have to really work our way towards, and it's um, I don't want to you know discourage anybody by saying oh it's a lifelong process because then it makes it sound like you never get it, but you get more or less of it, and you get more of it when you have a disposition towards desiring truth as opposed to desiring making a ton of money or desiring being uh, you know part of a crowd or whatever other motives one might have not looking like a fool, you know, in the case of those who've been conned. Yeah. I think that that's really, really a powerful thing. And sort of from from the way that my brain works is really bringing mm-hmm. it all together is that that a lot of this it does require, it's, it's, it's not a destination kind of a thing, but it does require that it's your intention to to live aligned to values or justice and the pursuit of truth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite true. And and you could say that it, it's not totally without a destination, but the destination is not one that you're ever totally getting to um, because you, you do have to aim at something. Right. Uh, but the the process is really important. And it's very easy, I think, if we're going to use this metaphor for people to make detours that that wind up in some other land <laughs> than, than pursue the truth land. You know, yeah, for sure. And I, I, if it's sort of this thinking fast and slow, that my initial response, my emotional mm. response to things yeah, could yeah. be wrong, bad, right, correct. But then getting down to these secondary levels, I forget the term that you use to critically think, that's really where you do, I think that if you're going to be um, a clear thinker on this stuff, if you say, okay, I am, I am, I am vaccinated, if you are not vaccinated, you are going to be a drain on our resources. And I, I, I haven't. It's interesting that this is part of sort of the 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 conversation going on right now. Wouldn't yeah. you also need to say then that if you are, we'll just use a, a substance abuser. If you are obese, mm-hmm. then you also, if if that's the line you're going to take. Yeah, one can make similar um, analogous arguments, although you always have to attend to what's different in the argument. So if you're obese, you're not placing your neighbor at risk of dying Mm. as a result of your obesity. Um, If you refuse to get the COVID vaccine because of whatever reason you you bought in, when you when you don't have a legitimate reason not to get it. I mean, there are there is a very tiny number of people who have a legitimate reason. And we want to acknowledge that. Sure. you're it's a public health issue right um you know we don't let people drive when they're drunk or high or operate machinery or do other things along those lines because we consider that to be a danger to people so there the analogy is better you know um Mm -hmm. if somebody and, and you know if somebody people have made these arguments over and over again about other things why should we be um devoting scarce hospital resources to people who are deliberately placing their their lives at risk. The other factor we'd want to take into account is we don't generally see situations where we're like, well, there's too many drug users who are ODing but not dying and they're taking up all the hospital beds. 
Um, whereas, you know, in places like, like Texas right now, um, we do in fact have actually here in Wisconsin too, we have a problem with, uh, in some areas, hospital beds being taken up by COVID patients, most of whom are deliberately unvaccinated. So, you know, with any analogy, and this is, it's a great question, with any analogy, we got to look at how are things similar and how are things dissimilar and to what degree can we can we do that and so when we do that we're, we're working on consistency at you might call it a second level um, unfortunately on places like Twitter it's mostly the gotcha or you know the talking heads on on the TV shows or radio shows it's mostly the gotcha well if you're gonna buy into this you have to buy into this a hundred percent and right that's not critical thinking that's that's actually just um, I don't even want to say rhetoric because rhetoric gets such a bad name. That's more like propagandizing. <laughs> so, yeah, just be binary like that is not critically thinking. It's just sort of clumsy. Yeah. Um, and so. Well, and, and anytime that somebody does that, you can say, why are they doing it? Are they just stupid and they can't reason well? And the answer for a lot of these pundits is no, no, they can reason perfectly well when it comes to like balancing their budget or deciding who they're going to bring on the show. So obviously it's not a cognitive defect. And then you got to say, all right, well, what, what could possibly be motivating them? They want their side to win. Um, they want to make a ton of money selling whatever it is that they're advertising on their show, um, which, which often seems to be the, the main thing. They want uh, notoriety, you know. And, and anyway, we, we have to like look carefully. At, at each person because they're probably not going to be quite the same. Um, but you know, we should, we should suspect motives in cases where people are being really loose and sloppy with their analogizing. How do you go about when, when, when you get new information in, I think that so, so much of the value that we're talking about is once you've done thinking about things, you can use that thinking as sort of the prism or the lens, which through which you view yeah. the world. But do you just sit down and think about things? Do you write? Do you? How do you sort mm. of go through that? Yeah, that's a that's, that's a great question. I, I don't have like a, a single approach, I guess, and I and I don't do it in some sort of methodical, systematic way either. I suppose in part because I've been like doing that sort of thing, you know, more or less, you know, since I was it's kind of what kid. you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, and it's it's like when somebody asks me, um, uh, what do I need to be attentive to in reading this book? And I'm like, I don't know. I've been I've been reading and teaching that book for 30 years. I can't look at it with a beginner's uh, uh, eyes, um, so I'm I'm less productive in that way. I mean, I would say that when I run into information, um, I obviously you don't have the time to like verify everything, and so a good bit of our our work is getting done by the previous work of figuring out whether sources are more or less reliable, you know, and I like, I like to see, um, whether where the source is differing from other sources, does the stuff that the, the first source that I'm looking at make sense or are the other sources like showing up where they've missed something or they're jumping to a conclusion, um, I will say that when it comes to like any pop psychology or popular science stuff, I'm very skeptical when I read about how a study has revolutionary revolutionized our our knowledge of X, Y, Z. I, I usually will want to go through and see how big was the sample size, how was the study set up, you know, um, 
those sorts of things because journalists are terrible about taking very qualified results and then blowing them up into why your diet has to completely change or you know why um, you know human beings are are all this way and we've misunderstood them. Um, so I, I, I guess you could say from that I subject some sources to more scrutiny than others. <laughs> you know? yeah. If you're trying to, if you're trying to tell me about some something having to do with an important psychological experiment. Um, that says that, I don't know, you know, well, take, take, uh, this honesty stuff with, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Dan Airely, uh, as it turns out that, um, we're not quite sure if he, if he fabricated data hmm. or not, uh, before going and doing all his Ted talks about honesty. Um, but somebody did and he used some, some bad data and, um, oh. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll level with you too. And this might sound a little bit uh, elitist. If somebody goes and gives a TED talk about just about anything, I'm autom- my, my <laughs> suspicion antenna come up because I'm like, they're probably BSing about three quarters of what they're saying. You know, um, I, I want to see, I want to see the actual, <laughs> you know, the results. I want to see some, some, some real discussion of it rather than, yet another theory. I think too, having st- studied in the history of ideas too, also makes you a little bit more suspicious because you're like, that sounds rem- that sounds very lo- much like what they were saying back in this thing over here, just they've changed the, the language a bit. And that was BS back then, but it gets recycled. This happens a lot in like um, business, uh, business models, you know, in uh, psychology, in education theory, is pretty bad for that sort of thing as well. Um, my my father, who is a retired police chief, tells me that this happens a lot in criminal justice stuff as well. Um, so yeah, so so you know, long story short, you probably want to be suspicious of any really you know startling claims. But then you know, think about one of the the key claims. Oh, there's this virus out there and. It, it, it won't necessarily kill you if you get it, but it's certainly going to do a number on you. And um, we might be able to do some things about it. That was a pretty startling claim back in January of 2020, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. <clears throat> well, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes kind of a thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you so much for coming back on. Uh, tell us where people can engage with you, where, where they can learn more about you, and tell us about Stoicon coming up on October 9th. Sure. Yeah, so the easiest way to find me is just Google Gregory B. Sadler, and then lots of stuff will come up, including my YouTube channel, which has the same title. I have a podcast called Sadler's Lectures, uh, which you can find all over the place as well. It's like housed on SoundCloud, but that means it goes out everywhere else. Um I've got a website, reasonio.com, and people can find my business stuff there. And I mean, that's probably uh, enough with that. Let's talk about Stoicon. So one of the um, co-organizers actually had a great line about it today. He said, and he had it about a different um, Stoicon X. So just like there's, you know, TEDx has their littler things. So we have that with uh, Stoicon, the, the big conference, and then local places hold their own Stoicon Xs. And he said, normally you would have to, you know, uh, pay for a, a plane ticket to get to this conference, but you can go to it for, you know, much, much less. Actually, for Stoicon itself, we made a deliberate decision this year to make a donation 
only so people can donate as little as a dollar. Uh, we've also had some you know, sizable donations from people who thought it was uh, worthwhile for them to give. And it's going to be held online on Saturday, October 9th. We have a full lineup of speakers, panelists. Um, we have a workshop that people will be able to participate in. Our plenary speaker is Nancy Sherman, who's uh, done a lot of work on not just stoicism, but virtue ethics and uh, the military. Um, her book, Stoic Warriors, some people may know that from over a decade ago, uh, has been uh, sort of capped by another book that she's brought out recently on, on stoicism in the military. And uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, obviously, we can't replicate the you know, going out for drinks afterwards or um, hanging out and chatting with people in between sessions, but we're trying to make it as interactive as possible. So we have uh, two panels, both of which are going to allow people to ask questions of experts on stoicism and uh, a lot of great speakers. We, we, didn't, we didn't bring in anybody who's boring. <laughs> um, hope you can join us. Yeah, you know, I love it. Be, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And... Um, our, our, you know, all the proceeds from it go to the Modern Stoicism LTD nonprofit organization, which helps to bring things like Stoic Week and Stoicon and uh, Stoicism Today to the general public. Wonderful. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Greg your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas or with somebody who needs to do a better job of appreciating ideas just, just kind of in general. <laughs> Go to, you can Google Gregory B. Sadler and everything will pop up. You can find his YouTube channel under Gregory B. Sadler. You can find his podcast under Sadler's Lectures. Go to reasonio.com. And then check out Stoicon coming up on Saturday, October the 9th. Is there a website for that, Greg, that I missed? Uh, there is, but I don't know it off the top of my head. There's an Eventbrite for it. So if people just Google Stoicon 2021, the ticketing and the schedule thing will, will pop up for them. Okay, perfect. And I'll track that down and put it in the shows of the notes as well. So excellent. Well, thanks again, Greg. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Great job, sir. Yeah, that was good. For sure. We didn't even, uh, I think we effectively navigated it without stepping on any huge landmines. So <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even try. So I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for the time. It's always great talking with you, man. Let's do it yeah, uh, sooner rather than three years. So. Did I did I send you the links for Stoicon? I forget who I sent things out to and who I didn't. Because I, I, I'm pretty I, sure I'm I have. To... I'm pretty sure I have everything. But okay, yeah. Let me know if I if I didn't send them to you. Go ahead and um, just hit me up for them. Um, we want to get as as wide a funnel as possible. I will say one thing that's kind of kind of cool. So my my wife has been like tracking all the numbers and. A vast majority of the people who have already gotten tickets, and we've got about 200-something so far, um, have never been to a Stoicon. They've never been to even, – even the online one that we had last year where we had about – I think we had about 1,400 ticket holders. Um, not everybody showed up at the same time, but sure. – um, Yeah, so it's, it's, it's cool. It's a good way of uh, spreading information. Um, 
I know it should be it should be very engaging. We we actually had a journalist who was going to be hosting one of the panels, but she had to pull out uh, just just last night. She's got another conference at the same time. Um, Shayla Love at Advice. Um, so we're going to find somebody else to fit in there. Well, like any kind of event, I'm sure that you will pull everything together. So. Yeah, or we'll have some dead air. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, right. <laughs> Which isn't the end of the world. It, it, it absolutely is not. So, yeah. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I will get this right. out uh, within the next couple of weeks, then for sure, just to make sure okay. we have enough lead time. So, sounds good. Awesome. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. I'll see you later.